episode 437 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. And yes, we are taking the podcast seasonally. This is season one. After 437 episodes, this is season one. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio, where you will also find a link to today's fascinating guest, Daniel Shaw, who is a death doula preparing to start incorporating psychedelic mushrooms into his practice because that's not interesting at all. (laughs) And because the following interview is largely concerned with making peace with death, you will also find in the show notes a link to a video that I watched the other day. And fair warning, it had me in tears and it's very emotional but they were happy tears they were reverent tears is maybe a better word for it and the title alone will give you a sense of what it's all about and maybe if you want to check it out it's called rituals of honor in hospital hallways across the united states are holding honor walks to show respect to patients at the end of life who are donating organs to others. And honestly, just reading that now, having seen the video, I get a little choked up just reading just reading the title of it. It's so beautiful and so needed in this culture, in a culture that has made life's inevitable conclusion into a taboo. And in some weird way, I think the ultimate failure. To die is to fail somehow, and that's pretty twisted. And that's one of the many reasons why I love the pagan community, because a reverence for the wisdom and value of our elders, honoring our dead ancestors, rituals around the experience of death, and Our willingness to dig into and make peace with uncomfortable truths are hallmarks of this particular spirituality. And there there are other spiritual communities and lone wolf adventurers who are willing to go there as well. And to personally, also I should add, explore the healing nature of psychedelic plants, which is another big no-no in polite society Even among some witches, I've noticed, which is a little bit confusing to me because my orientation to witchcraft is that it has everything to do with plants and mind-altering experiences. And that's to say all kinds of different ways of accessing a mind-altering experience. I'm not saying exclusively through plants, 
But to me, it stands to reason that if you are really excited about magic, that at some point you're going to encounter some practice that is designed to expand your mind and to create this reality shifting experience. And so even if you're not interested in exploring plant medicine, plant allies, psychedelics, I think it's cool to at least have respect for your fellow seekers who do, who, which is why I'm happy to have this conversation today. You might know, too, that I am a huge fan of Terrence McKenna, especially his lectures. I do have his book, Food of the Gods, but I love to listen to his lectures on YouTube. And that's not to say that I agree with everything he had to say. He has some pretty wild ideas and... He will really get on a soapbox sometimes about like the dominator culture. That I, I don't disagree with him, but I'm not I'm not like anti-capitalist, for example, even though I'll hear someone like Ter- Terrence McKenna talking about the dominator culture, and it makes a lot of sense to me. I just don't know how we would function in chaos as a society if there were no structures and he's really interested in tearing or he was he's no longer on the planet with us but he was very interested in what would happen if we tore down all the structures of society and we just lived in chaos (laughs) however I still love him and I mean and I think that opinion is valid I will also say But mainly I love him because he is fun to listen to and really kind of mind-altering in and of himself. Just to listen to an old recording of Terrence McKenna is to open yourself up to a potential shift. And I can only imagine what it must have been like back in the day to go on a retreat with him, like off in some jungle somewhere, gathered around the campfire. I, ugh. Oh, maybe in the next life. I don't know. (laughs) But I'm a little bit sad to have missed that experience. There's a video that I really like, one of my favorites of his, called Trust Yourself. And I'm going to read a little piece of it to you right now because I think it pertains to the subject, one of the subjects, all of the subjects. I don't know. It pertains to the interview that is upcoming. And it goes a little something like this. Don't get this idea that it's this liberal rap that everybody has a piece of the action. You know, the Jews know something. The Buddhists know something. The Wiccans know something. Rubbish. Nobody knows anything. These are different kinds of shell games that have been worked out by the priestly castes of people to keep things under control. Institutions seek to maximize control. That's what they're into. Did you think they were in the business of enlightening you? Saving your soul? Forget it. Control is what it's all about. And to the degree that we commit ourselves to ideology, we are poisoned. Any ideology. Rubbish. What is real is experience. What is real is this moment. And so then it becomes about what are the frontiers of experience? And this completion of the individual is extremely destructive to the plan of the dominators, which is that 
You will be a cog in a machine. You will participate in a life of an organization, not your life, the life of an organization. You will go to some bullshit job. You will pour the best years of your life and your genius and hopes into this. You will serve the institution. You will serve, 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 serve. Well, it's a bad idea for free people to go along with this. A much better idea would be to insist on the dignity of human beings, to recognize that the freeing of slaves, the giving of the vote to women, the ending of public whippings, that this program of political enlightenment must also then include hands-off on how people want to relate to changing their minds. Interesting, interesting. And I feel like that clip demonstrates how radical his, his perspective could be and how, how totally out there. He was like, far out, man. Like way, way out there because what psychedelics can sometimes do is make you lose your mind in a good way on a good day if you approach them responsibly and plant medicine, as the kids like to call it today, is not the only way to do that. I'm going to repeat that here. You can lose your mind in meditation. You can lose your mind with breath work. You can lose your mind with ecstatic dance. You can lose your mind by getting lost in nature. And maybe that is why, in part, so many people fear these modalities. And maybe that is just the healthy respect they deserve. Because what happens when you lose your grip on... This 3D reality, is it a legit fear to worry that your quality of life or the lives of the people that you love might suffer? How far out is too far out, man? (laughs) There's something too that I'm just paraphrasing now off the top of my head and I don't remember where. I listen to a lot of Terrence McKenna, but I'm paraphrasing Terrence McKenna in talking about the boundary-dissolving nature of psychedelic plants. And he says that, maybe it's in this, I can't remember if it's in this lecture or not. He says some people have been so damaged by life that for them, these boundaries should never be dissolved, that those boundaries need to be kept in place. And so that's an important thing to keep in mind if you are considering maybe exploring the things that we're about to talk about in this interview. And the boundaries that we're talking about here, like dissolving the boundaries of ego, really, and ego death. And that's what happens sometimes when you imbibe certain plants. Therefore, I am not saying that anyone should ever experiment with such mind-expanding, ego-shattering techniques. Your ego is there for a reason. And and I really, just to be honest, I don't want that responsibility. This is not something that everyone should engage in. But, 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 but. <laughs> Psychedelics are happening now. They are happening in science, and they are happening in the medical community, and they are happening in the New Age movement. So, 
I think it's worth having at least one juicy conversation about that topic. And I, I hope, too, that you will see as this conversation unfolds that there is a direct connection between the use of plant medicine and the work some people are doing to come to terms with the inevitability of death. So, whoo, that was a long, 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 long mouthful, all to say that I will be linking here to that Terrence McKenna lecture from which I pulled that excerpt I just read to you. And I will also be linking to a mini podcast that I just posted to Patreon a couple of days ago. And when I say mini, I mean less than eight minutes to introduce newcomers to the lay of the land and to quickly outline what they can expect content-wise for the next 14 months or so because the inner temple of hippie witch is ready to begin. <laughs> yeah, some people signed up just to go on that journey with us as we will slowly be working our way through Christopher Penzak's The Inner Temple of Witchcraft. And I say slowly because... As I said last week, this is a book that you do. It's about personal experience as, well, I think the whole of witch life is about personal experience. That's that's my take on it. And so I just now set that audio clip, that seven and something minute long audio clip, I just set it to public for you all in case you're curious about what we're going to be doing over there. And if you want to join in the fun, please know that you can do so for as little as $1 a month. So yeah, have have a listen if you're interested in that, which also reminds me that I needs, I needs to thank the awesome people supporting the podcast over on Patreon. And I want to welcome newcomers. So let me pull up that window. On my computer here, <laughs> we ended with Renee last week. Okay, so thank you to everyone who has ever supported the podcast. And this is a special welcome, thank you, shout out to new patrons. Jerry Alexander, I'm not new to you. You're not new to me. We are not new to each other. Hello, welcome, welcome. Welcome, Sarah, Noelle Creamer, Frank, hello, Frank, Corey, Dawn, oh, I've never seen this last name before, Dalzat, am I pronouncing that right? Maybe, 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 8-Bit Melody, Katrina, Ari, Charlie R, Lily Myers, Merit, Excel, Miramont. I'm pretty sure I just butchered that, but welcome, welcome, and thank you. Thank you for joining us over there. Daniel P. Shaw. Hey, who is Daniel P. Shaw? He's today's guest. What an honor. What an honor to have him over in, in the hippie witch tribe over there. And Lee Morris. Is that it? I feel like there's more. No, there's more. There's more. I told you a bunch of new people joined to do the Inner Temple of Witchcraft. Janice Price. And Laura Datz, thank you all so much. I hope you're enjoying the content. Feel free to dig through the archives. There is years of material over there that you can play around with. 
And yeah, let's, 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 let's now pivot back to today's interview. I want to also mention in regards to this interview, and if you haven't noticed, I'm being, I'm walking on eggshells a little bit because I just want to be sensitive around this subject. This is not, this is not a podcast, for example, to listen to with your kids. I know a lot of you listen to the show with your kids, but this one, this one, if you are going to listen with your kids, probably requires some explaining. You're definitely going to have some explaining to do. But I also wanted to mention that at one point in this conversation, I compare heroin and cocaine addiction to demon possession. And I want to be very clear that in no way did I mean that literally. That is just a metaphor based on a personal observation about how certain chemicals, certain drugs tend to impact people in a similar way. They tend to have a spirit. So like you can tell somebody who's deep into cocaine addiction is addicted to cocaine because there are some hallmarks of cocaine addiction that show up in their behavior. The same is true for meth or heroin. And what's interesting about this conversation is we get into talking about addiction and how ironically substance use, the use of chemicals like MDMA and psilocybin and concoctions like ayahuasca are actually being used to treat substance abuse. So it's very complex, very interesting, and we are in no way offering addiction recovery, or medical advice. I cannot emphasize that point more emphatically for anyone who may be listening to this now and is currently struggling with addiction or any kind of anxiety or post-traumatic stress disorder or depression or mental health issues. This interview is just a chat about my personal experience and Daniel's personal experience, and it's not a recommendation or a validation of anything. And a term I like even better than plant medicine, you might be able to tell that I, I sound a little bit awkward when I say plant medicine. It's because that's not my favorite term. It sounds a little bit prescriptive to me, and what I prefer is plant allies because there's a message in the word ally. It says, know who your friends are, go where the love is and be safe. So plants can be allies just like some people or animals and you can form a healthy relationship with them if you treat them with respect. But then there are other plants who will bite your face off no matter how carefully you approach them. And it's your job to know the difference before you go there. <laughs> Do your research. Know what you're getting yourself into before you get there, before you try it. So all disclaimers aside, here is Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Welcome to Hippie Wit. Hi, <laughs> Joanna. Thanks for having me. You are a very, very brave man. 
thank you. Um, okay. Yes. Um, I just you reached, out to, you reached out to me one day, just a very nice, friendly, Hey, I like your podcast and on your email. Well, I, heard six, your, I heard your word. I don't know why it like stuck in my head and that, and that song came up and I'm like, Oh my goodness. And I'm like, Oh, I should just like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm going to send her an email and say hi. Oh, that got my attention because I get a lot of email and the subject line was just groovy <laughs> but then but then your signature i clicked on your signature because you had a, a url that intrigued me right my website poignant passing and i was like what is that and then in seconds i was writing to you going come on my show and you're like whoa 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 what is happening but you agreed to, you agreed to do it so here we are yeah here yeah, I was excited. Yeah, I got the I got the email back, and then I responded very quickly and enthusiastically. I was like, "Oh my goodness!" I was like, "Whoa!" I was so excited that I sent off this super. Yeah, I was just very exuberant in my response. I mean, I chit chat back and forth with a lot of listeners. Anyway, it right. depends on the day because sometimes there's a lot of email, but I don't know. I, I felt like it was meant to be. I just opened that. I was in a very receptive mood, and I was like, oh. "I like this guy's vibe, and I'm super interested in what he's starting because this is a new business for yes. you." Yes. And it's a subject that I think I've heard women talk about, but I haven't heard men really talk about this idea of forming a new relationship with death. And you are now a certified. Is that the right word? Well, there's, no, there's, no, there's no formal certification process per se. So it's sort of you go through whatever training process you feel is. a. Pro- I mean, it's really on you to say, OK, I feel like I'm trained enough and know what I'm doing enough to be a death doula and work in these spaces and everything. And I did a couple of things to get to where I got to that point where I said, OK, yes, I'm ready to do that. And that was I went to a weekend retreat in Sierraville, California in October, which was put on by uh, Jill Schock, a death doula out of LA. And then I did a eight week course with the university of Vermont uh, from which I guess was October through December. And uh, that was the main stuff. And then I started volunteering with end of life choices, Oregon, which helps with the medical aid and dying uh, death of dignity here in Oregon. And then I got to the point, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to start doing this. But that was only last month. Like I just turned on my insurance to actually start doing this a, a couple of few weeks ago. So it's still, yeah, very new. That's <laughs> incredible. What kind of insurance do you get I, I, to protect yourself? I guess. Is that, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just general, it's general liability and some professional liability. A long time ago when I was very young and living in Hollywood, AIDS was still very much a part of the conversation. It was, it was the early nineties and and that was still like a hot subject. And I I remember that. Yeah. I was very moved by that. And I went to, I can't even remember the name of the organization, but I went to volunteer to be a person that sits with people, you know, in their last days. And I couldn't handle the first meeting. I cried. (laughs) I kept crying and they said, you know what? You would probably be a better fit (laughs) for this other program where I ended up delivering food to AIDS patients. And, you know, basically a hand would come out the door and they'd grab the food and go in. I didn't really get that human contact I wanted, but I didn't have the spiritual maturity and control over my emotions. I couldn't have done this like a year ago, even like I'm just in a a different place now with everything like that. And, you know, when I first started, I was sort of like, is this the right thing for me to be doing? But like every time I'm in a space like that, it's blatantly obvious that yes, that's where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. So, How did this happen? I'm so interested. You are now a death 
doula, the name of your business is Poignant Passing. I'm telling people because you have a very lovely <laughs> website. They can Thank go you. read all about it. But how did this happen? Well, it started like there's there's some like spiritual changes that sort of laid the the groundwork for that. And that was a lot of work that I was doing on myself in sort of more traditional therapeutic settings. And then that sort of, it didn't culminate, but sort of like a, a transition point was when I did a, a mushroom ceremony with the woman that I'm training with as a shaman now back in August. And that sort of got the ball rolling on a shift in the way I view the universe. And in September, I want to say, I, I noticed the meetup. I do meetups a lot. And uh, there's a woman coming through doing a living funeral ceremony in Portland. And it caught my eye and I went to sign up for it, but it was too late because she needed to get some information so she could set up basically a, a funeral for you. A living funeral ceremony is you basically stage, it's like two or three hours and you go through as if you had passed away to sort of get you in touch with your own mortality. And I was too late to do that, but I got in touch with her and she is a death doula out of Austin, Texas. And that sort of started the conversation with me. And I was like, oh. and I'd heard of death doulas once a couple years ago, but it didn't resonate then, but it resonated this time. And that sort of started the conversation. So I worked with her and she works with uh, the doula that I mentioned in LA and everything. And that got me going to get set up to that retreat that I went to and the class and everything like that. So that's sort of what got everything started. Okay. So there's so much to unpack here. First, let's revisit the living funeral ceremony, because this is going by so fast. It's like a lot to do. <laughs> okay, it, 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 it is. It is. I understand. Yes. Okay. okay. And, and this is on your website. Is this something you offer? Or are you linking? Yes. Uh, a living funeral ceremony is people sign up and you will, like uh, me as the practitioner, will generate sort of a an obituary type thing where, you know, with a picture of them and their date of birth and their date of death will be whatever day we're actually doing it. And then we'll bring them in and sit them down and they will think on dying and write an obituary for themselves. And then we will lay them down and start doing sort of a guided meditation to bring them through a dying process. And then, bring them back and they can share or not share or whatever the mood strikes them with. And yeah, and actually I like want to give credit where it's due. This is the, that woman out of Austin, Emily Cross. She's the one that came up with it and she's got people scattered around the country that are doing these things now. I don't know how many exactly, but. Is the obituary, is it, is this like intention setting like the obituary you would like to have? Or is it, this is where I am in my life right now. And this I is guess what it's whatever speaks to you. I mean, I, I participated in one and it wasn't, no, it wasn't where I wanted to be. It was where I was now. Like if I had died now, what would my obituary look like? And that's what I wrote. And then when you go through the meditation, is it a kind of like rebirth process or is it just kind of coming out of this deep experience and reflecting? Uh, more of just coming out of the deep experience and reflecting. I'm a huge fan of Memento Mori and the idea of stoicism. Ryan Holiday talks a lot about how, you know, just meditating on your own death, that <laughs> it, it actually creates the spirit to live. And oh, yeah, to absolutely. Make the most, it's, it's not a morbid thing. It sounds very morbid and strange at first. But when you actually go there, you're like, okay, yeah, this is, this is not forever. And, and each day becomes a gift, I think, when you're looking at it from that perspective. Absolutely. 
I've heard thought leaders do the obituary, not in a ceremony situation, but just like as a journal exercise where you write the obituary you would like to have. And then it's sort of an intention setting that you try to live up to. (laughs) Right. And that's obviously different from what I just described, but you know, but they, but they each have their purpose for what you're using it for and everything. And there's benefits to one and benefits to the other, depending upon what you're going for. Mm -hmm. Is it too uncomfortable to talk about what you went through as a teenager like that made you start wanting to no i can i'm happy to discuss that it's on your about page yeah and... yeah, yeah yeah exactly so, so, yeah, it's not <laughs> hidden or anything like that it's on the internet so everybody and it's not like it ever goes away now that it's out there either my mother passed away when i was in high school she got sick with breast cancer when i was a freshman and it went into remission and came back when i was a senior and she actually wound up passing away the day before I graduated, which was hard. And wow. I didn't really have my family just as a whole. It was we we didn't handle it well. It was not handled well, and I was negatively impacted for a very very long time. I was sick for a long time, and that manifested itself as problems with substances, eating disorder, stuff like that, and that kind of tore up my life. So. Yeah. That being said, uh, what I went through when my mother was dying was sort of, it was a big part of motivating me to do what I'm doing now and hopefully have less people have to go through something like that. Absolutely. And you lost your brother as well, right? In a oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, he passed away five years after my mother did in a, unexpectedly in a car accident, which, again, I had still, my family, we were still recovering from my mother passing away. So that was just adding fuel to the fire, really, at that point. And not, again, just we we weren't handling things at all at an emotional level at that point. And it was unfortunate, but that's just where we were at. I'm glad to see the spiritual community starting to have these conversations, but in general, as a culture, we don't address no. death. It's like a taboo, which is crazy because we all literally are going to die. Nobody gets out alive. And that means all the people that we love and the animals, I would add too, because I've, yeah. I've, I've lost some pets that really impacted me. But I, it's and most strange. people. The yeah, it's because it, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the burden that we put on ourselves by making this into a taboo. You're you're forced to suffer alone. Of course, right. people turn to substances because they don't have any coping mechanisms. Unless they're in a church, a lot of religions will have some organization around that. But if you don't subscribe to that religion, it's then you're yeah. Oh, it's not. Yeah, it doesn't really serve you. Yeah, and and you know, and I was just actually I was talking when I was coming back from the the ceremony I did Monday with my shaman about that sort of thing and the fact that because it's not talked about in a taboo and the fact that it happens to everybody eventually, uh, what winds up happening is that there you know when it does show up, nobody's planned for it and it becomes like a de facto crisis because it hasn't been discussed until you absolutely you know have to deal with it now and nobody's ready and it doesn't go well as a, I mean, not always, but the way the situation is set up, it makes it more likely for people to struggle and have trouble with it as a result of our, the lack of discussion around the topic. Mm-hmm. How did you come to terms with religion versus spirituality as it relates to the death process? 
I was well the result of my the with what happened to me as a as a child I was an atheist or agnostic for the bulk of my life and not so not anymore very much so not anymore and I respect sort of religion and what what it's there for I'm not still religious but very very spiritual and I do bring that into what I've been doing like for the gentleman that I that I did help this week when I met with him last week the subject came up because he, he was struggling, I guess some, some background, this is just a gentleman who I've been helping through the end of life choices, Oregon, uh, no details or anything, but he was, he was just struggling uh, with some spiritual stuff. And he asked specifically my personal beliefs. So that enabled me to start talking about what I believe in as far as soul and afterlife and everything like that. And sort of laid the groundwork for when we came back in and see saw him on Monday and and then actually my shaman sort of picked up that conversation where I left off. And so I do bring my personal beliefs into that space when, when explicitly called for, like, then I, like I said, I will be explicit and say, do you want me my actual personal beliefs? Cause some people will have their own stuff and I don't want to step on toes. What are your beliefs? I believe that consciousness is the fundamental building stuffs of the universe as opposed to matter and that there is a source energy, if you want to call it God, universal consciousness, and that we are, as humans, we are a part of that has, that has come off, part of that consciousness that has come off and incarnated in a physical form to experience whatever it is that we want to experience. We set that out ahead of our times before we come down for our lifetime, and we have to deal with the illusion of separation that we have because of the 3D reality in which we live. But, you know, there's ways to get back in touch with your higher self or your oversoul or whatever you want if you're open to it. And Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot more detail, but that's, I guess, a synopsis of where I'm at with that sort of thing. Yeah. And and that sort of brings me to why I listened to your podcast and being like I adopted Wicca about two months ago because I realized I was manifesting stuff anyway. So I wanted to give some sort of format and some uh, ritual and just some organization to what I'm experiencing with the universe anyway and and wicca resonated and i dove in and i'm very happy to i don't call myself a witch right now i guess that's so so (laughs) interesting it sounds like you're having a a spiritual renaissance personally like it like the dominoes are falling and we're talking to you right now it feels like at the beginning that everything's sort of falling into place. It's maybe that's why I wanted to talk to you. Cause I think that's an exciting place to be. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's very accurate. And I'm fortunate that I have people that on the sort of path that I found myself on to support me in what I'm exploring. I've got, uh, you know, I've got the doula in LA who's helping me with that. I've got the shaman who's training me with work like that. I've got a, a actually the, the woman that I hired to be my life coach to help me stand up my doula business. Cause I've never done anything like that before. I chose her over another individual because of the background that she has with intuitive skills. I'm wondering, isn't it so interesting about, you talked about working with a shaman and doing medicine ceremonies Yes. Did, did we say the word mushrooms? I don't know. I, I find, did. I did. Okay. I, so I find, <laughs> I find this fascinating that mushrooms are now being clinically studied and incorporated into, in a clinical setting, these, they're not really end of life ceremonies like what you're doing, but they're helping people cope with their death they're also helping people cope with substance abuse, which is fascinating because 
they are considered, you know, to be a substance. <laughs> I know. I just I'm, thought, I'm treading lightly here, but you know, I, I, I just saw a documentary last week that they've got playing in towns. Uh, the documentary is called dosed and it follows this woman who's a heroin addict and how she uses psychedelics, particularly mushrooms and Ibogaine to recover from her heroin addiction. It just shows you everything is not black and white. And when you demonize even an idea of like substance use of some kind, any mind altering substance, you take the good away with the bad when you yeah. do that. And I like personally struggled with that a lot just because my own, I don't know if I want to say my drug of choice. <laughs> I have a serious drug of choice and I was in the, the traditional recovery community is very black and white and 100% abstinence. And I understand why it has to be that way, because if you're in a treatment center, say, they can't be going around to every individual and say, it's okay for you to use this substance, but not this. And, you know, they just have to make a blame and nobody use anything, which is okay. But like the flip side of it was I had internalized that so much that when, you know, if, if I started to go off the rails a little bit and relapse became imminent, I was equating relapsing on, say, marijuana with the same thing as relapsing on my drug of choice, when those were very, very, very different things. But because I had equated that, whenever I wound up relapsing, I always went with my drug of choice, even though the consequences were way, way, way worse. Yes, for, uh, I, I that understand. I understand that. So, but that's, yeah, you know, the, and obviously there are, there are treatment centers now where they incorporate things like marijuana and other lesser evil, but they're not even evil is the thing. And it's weird because, you know, I just think specifically about marijuana and my lifetime history with that. Like I didn't even start using that until way late in my life. And when I did, it was not, I didn't get much out of it with the, with the harder drugs. You just take them and you know what to get as far as like what they're going to do and the, the, they're going to make the pain go away and whatever, whatever that particular drug does to make the pain go away, it's always going to work. But think when you get into psychedelics, uh, marijuana or mushrooms or something like that, you don't necessarily know what's going to happen. And I didn't like it as a result. It was inconsistent. But like now I've gotten to the point where I do use marijuana like twice a week, maybe. And I do it in a ceremonial setting. I usually smoke just a tiny amount and then walk around in nature. And I set an intention and it's a completely different experience. And I can commune with my spirit guide and all sorts of fantastic stuff happens with the way I use it these days. Yeah, I think it's us. We are demonizing these plant medicines when it's really us. We are the ones abusing the plants, not yes. the other oh, way yeah. around. And that's why it's interesting to take a shamanic approach to connect through nature and have respect for the plant and do it in a intentional setting and of course there's always the danger with certain substances even marijuana i i had to quit marijuana it took me 13 years because i wow. was dependent on it i was abusing that plant i was right. using it to an end and just on that note i will say too i actually feel like it saved my life to a degree it helped me manage my moods and then i just took it too too far i took it to a place that that was like oh my gosh a plant is ruling my life this is right. you know I, I actually had that vision in my head 
And, right. and when you get to that point, it's awful to be like under the thumb of a substance like that and not be able to see a way out necessarily. It's a very mm-hmm. uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. And it, it took me 13 years because I would go through long sobriety periods, nine months, 11 months. I was always mm-hmm. trying to make it to the year mark. And then I would like freak out after a year thinking mm-hmm. if a whole year goes by, like, what does that mean? <laughs> Am I never going to do this again? And that would actually freak me out a little bit to get me backtracking But I was using it to manage, I had chemical imbalances that I learned to balance out through food and amino acids. And then once I did that, then I didn't need the plant anymore, but the plant was sort of a bridge. Right. So yeah, I mean, I wasn't like partying. I wasn't a partier in that sense because I was mom and I was always hiding it from my kid, which was a whole layer of Mm. guilt and weirdness. Yeah. I guess we're going down this rabbit hole, but I just think it's, you're working with shamans now. This is a new thing for you as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't anticipate that happening either, but it just sort of, I've sort of fallen into to training with this, the, the shaman that originally worked with me back in August. I am training with her. I'm slowly coming up to speed to doing work like that also and incorporating it into some of the doula work with the, as you mentioned, the end of life, using it, using mushrooms in particular to treat end of life anxiety. Is that something that you're working toward being able to help people that are literally on their deathbed with? Is that something yes. you're thinking about? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's so interesting. I don't even know if you know all the legalities of that. I know it's on its way to being legal, yeah, that it's, it's not. It's not there yet. Right. But I see people collecting signatures to get it on the ballot for Oregon this year. And I think mm. it's going to happen, not for not for full legalization, but decriminalization, which is always the first step in these things. So there's a, I think there's a, a very good chance that they'll be decriminalized in Oregon this year. There's definitely a raising public awareness going on in terms of what this can do with people that do the kind of work that you're getting into now. And like with MDMA, them using that in clinical studies for helping people overcome post-traumatic stress disorder. Where yep, The VA is doing those studies. Yeah. Isn't that I interesting? Know. I know it is. <laughs> so what, when you're working with this woman who's a shaman, what does that look like? With Can you kind of talk people, so many people are curious about this. I have to say, anytime I've mentioned this on the show, I get tons of emails because people, they're scared and deeply curious. So what does that look like if you, just with this particular person you're meeting with? Well, there's been some coordination ahead of time in order to make sure that you check for contraindications if they're taking any medications or anything like that. And obviously there's some intention. There's a reason why they're coming in. And I'll just think of the ceremony we did most recently. We sat down, uh, talked to the individual and tried to, he was nervous. Uh, and because, you know, because you, again, with psychedelics, depending upon where your mind state is, there's a potential for weird stuff to happen. But that being said, when you're doing it in a ceremonial setting like that, that, that like that's never happened to my child. Never has anyone had a, like a bad trip while they've been working with her. So we go in and, and again, with any psychedelic set and setting and intention, uh, making sure that the, the person's comfortable, that the, that they're supported by you know us there to holding space for them and the end up the intention is set at the beginning for whatever it is that they want to get out of the particular journey that they're about to take and then consume some of the mushrooms usually a relatively low dose my, my shaman works with a you know, relatively low dose and is able to get amazing things done with 
with not all that much, which is fantastic. And then there's, you know, after, after you take some, it can look, it depends upon what needs to go on. You could put on blindfolds and music and just sort of let your, let it, you know, ride it and see where it takes you. Uh, you could discuss it, discuss what's going on while you're going through it. She's also a cranial sacral person, so she can do body work while this is happening. Oh, that makes me yeah. want to find this woman right now. <laughs> but it, it's really, it's really individual, you know, depending, you know, those are, those are some of the things that can happen and it's all depends upon what the person needs and wants. So, so it's not a straight answer, which is another interesting thing. It's not like, push this button and get your prescription. No, not at all. (laughs) It's very personal, individualized. It has to be because you're working with the spirit of the, of the plant and everything. And that's always going to be a very personal experience. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's, this is just an aside, something that I noticed my coming of age years were in Hollywood and there was a lot of drug use around me. I did not, partake in any of that because I was mainly scared. I was afraid of it. Besides, you know, (laughs) yeah, I was afraid of it. And, but I started noticing that certain plants have a personality that you can identify through vastly different people. So like cocaine has a personality, heroin has a personality. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking of it as like a spirit and not a spirit I want to be messing around with because I I was actually thinking of it in terms of demon possession. Because when a person really gets deep into cocaine addiction or heroin addiction or something very extreme like that, Mm-hmm. they do start to develop certain traits that other cocaine addicts have and other oh, heroin yeah. addicts have. And I oh, think yeah. that's something that's different about the work that people are doing with psychedelic plants in a clinical setting or in a shamanic setting is it's just, it has a more spiritual individual tone to it. Even oh, yeah. though the plant spirit is coming through, it just is to me, this is just an observance and I could be wrong, but that's how I've perceived it. Yeah. I think that that's a fairly accurate and you're right about as far as like the different, I'm not thinking, I'm thinking less so about heroin and cocaine, more so about mushrooms and ayahuasca and stuff like that. And those are, they do have very definite personality traits, I guess you would say. Well, it all comes from something beautiful, which is also very weird. Like I'm, I'm saying these are like demon plants. <laughs> it's like a <laughs> demon possession, but that's actually what, that's our man-made concoction that comes from a very beautiful flower. Or I've heard of, I think South American natives like chewing, what is the cocaine the, leaf? The coca leaf, yeah. Coca leaf, yeah. chewing it and it, like it's just like a mild stimulant. Right, because like, they're no, not. No, 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 right. we have to come in and be like, wait a minute, how can we right, amp this up? <laughs> right, yeah, because when they chew it in the, you know, when they just have the leaf, it's a very, it's a very small amount and they get, you know, it, it helps them do whatever manual labor that they're getting through during the day. And it's, you know, they're working with the plant, they're not abusing it. Kratom in the in Southeast Asia is like that. Also, the 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 people that live in that area and like chew on those leaves. I think it's a, a similar thing. Also, which and there's a potential to abuse anything. I mean, not just substances. Obviously, it just sort of depends upon an individual and where they're at with what they're struggling with, and if they have the sort of mindset that allows them to to get into an addictive type situation. Nobody ever 
chooses that. You know, <laughs> I'm being wow. on the soapbox for a little bit. It's like it's like nobody nobody chooses to go down that road. It's horrible. It's awful. It's terrible. My years of addiction were like the most unpleasant years of my life, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And you know, it's it's. But it was it served a purpose. I was in a lot of pain. And I found something to deal with the pain. I wish I had better coping mechanisms, but I, I didn't at the time. And that was what I turned to. And, it, you know, obviously it brought a whole host of problems with it as a result. But, you know, you know, it made sense at the time, even though it was, you know, not a very good decision. Yeah. I mean, it's that whole saying that we're all just doing the best we can with right. the knowledge that we have. And yeah, that's a trap. Nobody's like, let me fall down into this well. Yeah. <laughs> it just happens. And I think it's important to acknowledge addiction as a thing. You can literally become addicted to your own body, masturbating, cutting your own body. You can become addicted to food. So mm-hmm. many people are addicted to the internet. You can become addicted to anything. So yep. it's important to get to the source of what is the root cause of that. And that that's what I think the kind of work that you're doing is aimed at getting at like get yes. to the root it's not about a substance right and that's and that's why like when i said i did a more traditional therapy prior to the to that ceremony that i did last summer and i still continue to do that therapy i dealt with the root issue i'm not bothered by any of that stuff anymore and it's fantastic but like that was you know for years i was just you know band-aids and covering up you know and, and it was freaking whack-a-mole to be honest it was like okay i you know hit down the substance abuse and the eating disorder comes back i hit down the eating disorder and some other crazy behavior comes back because it was never i was never able to get to the bottom of things because i was too busy just trying to survive and deal with the next fire and it, it never you know a moment's rest to actually get underneath and and figure out what was actually going on and, and try to fix it addiction is a shape-shifter mm-hmm it really is. How does death play into all of this? Like, why death? Why death, Daniel? <laughs> I, I, that I can't answer. It's, it, this is one of those things where it's a calling. And like I said, I didn't anticipate it happening, but it did. And I'm very comfortable in that space. I enjoy talking about it, enjoy working in it. And it feels right when I'm in community with like other doulas and stuff like that, everybody is like that. And it's sort of like, that's just the thing we just talked about it sort of matter of factly. And that's mm-hmm. the way it is. And it's kind of nice in that regard. As far as the why it's a higher calling. I don't know the exact phrase that you used, but something I picked up on from your about page was that basically now you are providing others with what you wish that you had when your mother right. was passing and then did pass away. Right, exactly, because it's like, and that just goes back to the fact that you know I am capable of going in and talking about it and supporting people emotionally, spiritually, logistically, you know, whatever. That's what the doula work is: is that is providing that sort of support. And you know, not everybody's cut out for it, but I evidently am, and it's it brings me a lot of satisfaction to be able to help people like that. Did you have any fear going into this or did it just click immediately? It's been clicking pretty immediately. You know, I've met several people in the end of life space at this point and yet to have any fear show up. No, it's been, it's been pretty, I've, I've been comfortable every time I've met anybody or been in that space. Besides hiring a death doula or somebody that can help you with the end of life process, is there... Any recommendation that or tips that you have for people that are 
going through that right now with a loved one, something that they can do for themselves or their loved one. If they don't feel comfortable hiring somebody, is are there small things that they can do? Well, self-care is always important. And like self-love and and acceptance. When it comes down to it, I think that a lot of the problems come from the ego just freaking out over its imminent demise. Because I mean, that's where most fear comes from is the ego is, is worrying about being lost in some way or form. And obviously death is the ultimate loss for the ego. But like, I think all fear is pretty much like the ego feels threatened. So I'm going to be afraid. And it's just having a like I try like when I experience fear, I try to have a conversation with my ego as best I can and acknowledge that yes, it's there for a reason. It's protecting me. The problems that I face in 21st century America is not like the saber-toothed tiger. So the fear that it instills to me is usually disproportionate and counterproductive to what I actually need to do as a result of what's causing the fear. But you know, I still I love it and have gratitude for it and appreciate it being there as best I can. And I understand that it's temporary and going to pass eventually obviously with some with death it's not uh, i mean well we get into the fact that reincarnation and all that stuff but still for this particular go around in this plane death is that's definitely a transition at that point and there's not more after that except in you know next lifetime so you believe in reincarnation yes yes my soul when i pass away will go and i i mean it's the whole i don't know i don't know what what people understand as far as stuff like this goes by i believe the met by a loving presence and taken on a life review and you know meet people that were important to me back to my life in this sort of other place and if i want to incarnate again and get some more experience then you know get ready for that then that's yeah i do very much believe in that Hmm. i think it's interesting to take people through a process of ego death which is really terrifying for sure. And then that's mm-hmm. why I think that's where plants come in because it can be a more gentle experience of that or just mm-hmm. a shorter duration of time. So it, it could even be like a hellish experience for a few hours, you know, down in the jungle of Peru, but, right. then, you know, <laughs> uh, but then it's over and you've experienced this ego death and come into contact with your own sense of eternity and i can see why those plants are helping people i know they use psilocybin with cancer patients for example mm-hmm. come to terms with their they're dying that they are dying and i think it's because of that it's that ego death and then you realize oh i am not that I think right. of the ego as like a package deal with your body. You need Yeah, that's hard. Like I mean that's I you know I'm aware that I'm not my ego and I still struggle with it. And for a long time I I was my ego and it's not very not a very pleasant way of going through life. And it's yeah, and like I said even even though I'm able to disidentify with my ego much better now, it's still there and it still bothers me sometimes. If it's a if it, it has a particularly strong reaction to something, I can still find myself getting sucked in and having to like work harder to remain present. But it's different than it used to be because I, you know, back when I back when I was not disidentified from my ego, when bad things happened, they were all consuming. That was that was everything. And I would have these horrible feelings and it felt like I had felt like that forever. And I was going to feel like that forever. And no wonder I turned to drugs when I was feeling like that. And I, you know, I say it's, it's obviously not as 
you know, it takes some time to learn to be able to step back and recognize that you're not your ego. It took me, you know, 45 years, but it's, it was worth it. it <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm much happier now that I've been able to make, you know, detach from that and recognize that. And, you know, I still have, you know, bad stuff still happens. And I still have to deal with, you know, I still have to, you know, live and everything like that. But when bad things happen, I can, I can see, Oh, yep. That, that hurts. There's my ego. It's, it's freaking out for what such and such a reason. And I acknowledge it and I will, and I, and I will in trying to trying to stay in the moment. I will either deal with it if I can deal with it in the moment then, or I will accept it as that's the way it is for right now until I can deal with it. And again, that's, you know, it's easy to say and a lot harder actually in execution. <laughs> Oh, for sure. I mean, that's why for a lot of people, it's just a practice. I think there are religions that can get you to that place. I've always had a deep knowing that I am an eternal spirit. And I'm not sure if that's because of the way, you know, I grew up on Jesus back in the day. <laughs> and, you know, Christians are taught that you die and you go to heaven and you live eternally with Jesus. And, you know, there's that. Then right. there are meditation practices and Eastern religions that teach reincarnation. There are different ways to get to a place of feeling the infinity of which you are a part. Right. And, and they're all, they're all pointing at the same thing. That, yes. I mean, they're all going the same direction. It's just whatever makes the yes. most sense to you. I don't really have a story around it. I like the idea of reincarnation. I kind of like the idea of living on forever. I, I do, though, strongly sense that I am eternal. And yeah. my ego does really just hates the idea that there, <laughs> at some point, will not be a Joanna. I, I cannot I know, conceive of it. I've had, moment, <laughs> I've had moments of feeling like all is one, and that can happen in a meditation. You know, there's different ways you can access that. But I don't walk around being like, I am an eternal spirit. That's why I was saying I think the ego and the body are a package deal that'll allow you to be here, to be in, you know, participate in this 3D reality that we find ourselves in they're necessary they're not oh, yeah. bad they're not right. bad just when they run the show it can get bad <laughs> right exactly that's a very good that, that, yes absolutely i'd like the way you put that i am really touched that you agreed to do this daniel i i think the work that you're doing is brave but i also think it's just brave to agree to come on and just just go for it and see where it takes us. And we've talked yeah. about some fairly controversial things. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm pretty, but I try to be open about these things these days. It's not, it's not, I don't have anything. Well, obviously I haven't mentioned like my drug of choice, but like for the most part, I'm open. I'm happy to be talking to this. I'm happy people are going to be able to hear and like this conversation about death and shamanism and, you know, everything else that we've talked about and addiction, you know, we've yes. talked about a bit of good stuff so far. Yeah, and I think it's a great demonstration of having a healthy boundary. You are on a podcast that thousands of people are listening to, and I would not expect you to name your drug of choice if you did not want to. And that's right. just a good demonstration of this is a boundary. I'm not sharing this with you. This is right. private for me and my personal relationships. So right. I appreciate that. Yeah, if it comes up, I'll might tell someone, but like I, it's it's in the past. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense of where you're going with all of this or are you just very much like going along for the ride and I'm along hope? for the ride right now. Things are changing very, very fast for me. 
right now and it's hard to keep up. And like I go like every week that I go in to see my therapist or uh, my spiritual teacher, I look back on like the past week and I am amazed at how much has happened and how much has changed. And like I just look at myself and compare myself to where I was just like a month or two ago. And I'm like, I have no idea where I'm going to be like, you know, forget a year from now or five years from now. I don't know where I'm going to be next month with this stuff. It's Mm -hmm. but I mean, but at the same time, it's exciting and fun. And like my life is pretty freaking amazing these days so i'm like but it, and that part and part of that is you know just you know doing my best to stay in the moment and and trust my intuition and and understand that the universe has my back and it took a while to get to being able to do that yeah i think that speaks to being ready and being willing like i i could have done this podcast a decade ago and said most of what i'm saying but not have been walking my talk because i was mm-hmm. I loved psychology. I loved personal development, but I was still a bit of a mess, you know, and I was still struggling with everything and reading all the books. I was interested in it, but it was when I got diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. I ended up going to see a therapist and I was like, enough, enough. I am done. I am ready to step into something new. And so I moved through the process very, very quickly because it was much like you just said every week I was like all right done what's next what's next what's next what's next and the therapist was very surprised by this because I'd be like I did all the things you said plus all the things in this book (laughs) and I moved through the process very quickly but it it was why didn't I do that a decade earlier two decades I know (laughs) you have to be ready so, yes, yeah. you have to be, and you have to be willing. It's a conviction. It's a deep, deep conviction. Yeah. Of, if anybody listening is experiencing addiction, there's a moment you want to quit. You want to quit. You're going to quit. You, you quit for a period of time, but in the back of your mind, there's this, always this little voice. This is why I couldn't make it past the year mark. Mm-hmm. A little voice of like, Mm, am I still doing this? Should I still do this? It's just like a little question. You know, it's like you're on the wagon, but you could fall off if, if circumstances change. There is a point, though, where you are just done. Yeah. And it feels very different. And it feels very clear. And there's no going back from there. And I'm yeah. happy that I reached that point. Yeah, me too. And I'm, you know, the path that I'm on now, there's no, like, I, there's no offering from what I'm doing now, <laughs> which is fine. Cause this is what I, you know, what I want to be doing. It's funny. You talk about like the 10 or 20 years or whatever like that. Cause I, it, with all this other stuff going on, I actually, I managed to get a, a master's in physics some time ago and actually understand quantum mechanics quite well, but never took it to its logical, like philosophical conclusion of what that implies with all this other stuff. And now that I've kind of, you know, felt it and realized what it means, I'm like, man, I'm kind of, Wish I'd figured that out like 20 now years ago. You tell, now you tell us you have a master's in physics at the end, Daniel? I have so many more questions. I went to West Point. I was an officer, intelligence officer for five or six years. I've had an interesting life. Fascinating. That is so interesting. And that's another good point, too. It's like you, you've struggled with addiction, substance abuse, and grief that you didn't really know how to process and yet you still did these things like life is lived in the cracks (laughs) sometimes sometimes depending on what kind of flare-up you're having but life is lived and accomplishments are had regardless and Mm -hmm. you've had a full life I have I've had a very full life 
Yeah, Do you have any tips for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Well, I'll just say what's worked for me, and that's learning to like listen and trust my intuition because I didn't do that for a very, very long time. And then sort of coupling that with not worrying about what others think because I was always worried, like trying to ple- you know please others and trusting my intuition and, and not like dismissing other people's opinions, but like not making it like I have to please everybody because you can't and you'll be miserable if you try to do it. For that's, sure. That's my, yeah, there's my takeaways, I guess. Yeah, and you couldn't be doing the work you're doing if you were overly concerned with what other people thought. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're at a cocktail party. What do you do? Well, I have a business called <laughs> in Passing. I'm a death killer. <laughs> I lead living funeral ceremonies. <laughs> I feel like that's pretty radical and, and very cool, and it's been an honor talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's it, my friends. I hope that you enjoyed this interview and that it inspired you to maybe develop your own memento mori practice or to explore new ways for making peace with death. And you know what's interesting for me, what's harder to do is making peace with the death of my loved ones Or I guess from my own perspective, making peace with leaving behind my loved ones. For me, it's just all about the people that I love. And it's such a worthy practice to go there to explore this. And for that, I'm very proud to be a part of the pagan community because I feel like we are pioneers that way, at least in modern times. We are bringing... Death doula-ism back. (laughs) Is death doula-ism a word? Probably not. Well, it is now. It is now. And if you're curious about the inner temple of hippie witch, I couldn't resist calling it that, you know? I just got to throw a little bit of silly on everything. If you're interested in doing the inner temple of witchcraft with us over on Patreon, check out that mini podcast and it'll give you a better sense of what that's all about. And until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.